Yes, you did. <laughs> Sounds better in British. I like it. Yeah. Right, Irvine, California, Orange County. Yes, I'm not an Orange County housewife, though. I sure will. I mean, it, First off, I think we can go back to, I know, go back a few years and just think about retirement in general. So before the Industrial Revolution, how did people retire? You just had a farm or you did something, you know, you had a craft or something and you you just did this this way. But when Industrial Revolution, now people are in you know, condos and we, you know, housing and everything changed and, and our whole lives changed. And so you had to start saving. And then really the way that we were saving wasn't sufficient because... Uh, Social Security came around and the government realized, hey, this isn't good enough. <laughs> a, a lot of the, a, a great majority of our national budget goes toward entitlements like Social Security. And so in, in the government's best interest, it's like we can't, you know, or in the people's best interest, I hope, is that we can't really, you know, carry everyone into retirement, especially now with the silver tsunami we've got going on. So we need to create something, a vehicle. So it was in 1975, this Act called the ERISA Act, the Employment Retirement Income Security Act, was passed. Gerald Ford signed it into effect. It tells you how old it was, right? And that created IRAs. So IRAs, Individual Retirement Arrangements, so it's an acronym, you know, have been around since 1975. And ever since that day, you've been able to invest really in anything, you know, except life insurance contracts and collectibles. But what happened is that Wall Street kind of got a hold of it and said, okay, invest in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds using this vehicle. And a lot of people did not realize that you could invest in alternative assets. And a lot of people who sell you stocks, bonds, and mutual funds cannot recommend that you invest in alternative assets because of their licensing. You know, their reg their, you know, uh, seven or six or 63 licenses. Don't let them do it. So the alternative asset space for IRAs is the self-directed space. And we this industry has been around, I don't know, well, you know, really just a little bit after 1975. And there are some of the older companies that are around um, that, that started in the early days. And UDirect started 15 years ago about, I know, here, here in Irvine. So a self-directed IRA is an IRA that lets you invest outside of Wall Street into assets like real estate, which includes you know, uh, multifamily and, and includes self-storage, single-family homes, duplexes, everything real estate-related, raw land, and even lets you be the bank and take your retirement and lend it to people so they can buy real estate. Uh, and there are a lot of other things, too, but in a nutshell, that's what a self-directed IRA is. A regular, an IRA is an IRA, but it's the kind that lets you invest in alternative assets. 
I do. I do. I do. And, and in fact, I was just having this conversation before, before our call here and, and that is talking about like retirement. We can start there and, and I'll talk about investing too. But when you think about retirement, like how are you going to get there, right? And so you have to, you really have to invest and you have to build up these layers. You know, I guess you call it, you could call it a capital stack for your future. And the layers consist of a lot of different things, a lot of different investing. So You've got social security for your retirement. That's a first layer, I suppose. Maybe your personal savings on top of that. And maybe some whole life insurance with cash value, maybe some annuities on top of that. And then you've got your retirement, the, the your 401k, 403b, 457, your IRA, that retirement savings that's got tax protection. And then on top of that is your alternative assets. Like if, if you've got rental properties, uh, you've invested in private equity, you know, you've invested in this different asset classes. So one of the things you want to do to be able to retire is to think about, hey, how am I going to stack this? How am I going to have multiple streams of income when I'm not working anymore? And self-directed IRAs are, are the answer to that. So there's that much. But like, you know, the other question, what do I invest in? My background, um, after, after I was a radio announcer for 17 years, I made the logical transition into real estate. Um, I worked as a property manager, got a real estate license, and then went into mortgage loan servicing for a number of years. And while well, I had kids and I was raising kids and then even loan origination for a number of years as well until the Great Recession. And then during at that time, you know, so you weren't gonna be making any mortgages, you know, in, in 2007, right? And so I wasn't doing that, um, but I, 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 I have to find something else, some other vehicle for, for my skills. And I got hired by a self-directed IRA company and I worked for them for a couple of years and learned it. And then in 2009, I went out on my own and started to direct IRA services. So I'm kind of still bypassing the investing question, <laughs> but uh, do you, if you want me to, I'll still hit that if you want. Well, I understand an IRA isn't an investment. An IRA is a bucket that holds assets. So it's like, what do you put in the bucket? But yeah, absolutely. Real estate all the way. I mean, in various forms. Um, I'll lend money. I, obviously, being the CEO of a self-directed IRA company, I know a lot of people raising capital, right? So, and some of them are my friends. I know who some good, you know, good and bad players are. So I'll pick out a few of them. And, and I've made loans to people who are uh, maybe... I, well, my favorite thing is the forced equity of tearing down a property and a single family and turning it into a fourplex. And you've got forced equity even in a rising market. And so I've, I've made some loans to um, those kinds of assets. I've invested in private equity. You probably have a dozen of these, you know, alternative, alternative real estate investments around either debt or equity.
Well, the driver was, it was, it was just where life was leading me into, into real estate as a way, because like so many other people, you see, you can really build wealth in real estate. I think, I think that's one of the reasons. Um, but also too, I, I like hard assets. I like assets that you can touch and feel and something where you can, where you've got more control over it. And, and so I think real estate's the best thing. And also there's, it's such a win-win situation when you take your retirement and you invest, say in a property and rehab it. So what you've done is improved a property, which then improves a neighborhood and it gives somebody a nice place to live. And then it throws rent, hopefully like it in a scenario could throw rent back to your IRA. So everyone's winning here, better neighborhood, nice place for people to live, rent coming back in your IRA and no one loses in that situation. Plus all the people you hired to do the renovation, they had a job. So a self-directed IRA is a very powerful vehicle in the sense that it can, it does good things for, you know, so many different layers of, uh, of interests. Yeah, well, so the IRA, the individual retirement arrangements, it's so many different things. It's a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, SEP, that's an acronym for Simplified Employee Pension for someone self-employed. A simple, and if the government calls it simple, you know, it's not, right? <laughs> it's a savings incentive match plan for employees. It's not as popular because it doesn't have as much benefit as the SEP, but it still exists. And then there's also a solo 401k for um, entrepreneurs who don't have any, any uh, full-time employees in any of the companies they own. So these are some of the different accounts that can be self-directed and absolutely Roth, yes with tax-free earnings, you know, who doesn't want tax-free earnings? Yeah, well, you've already been taxed on it, yeah, after tax, exactly. I do. I, I think that when you start saving your retirement, it ends up being pre-tax a lot of the time because you probably start retirement savings in a traditional IRA. You can start in a Roth too. That would be great. But you may start at your business and your business probably has a pre-tax account like a 401k, 403b. And in recent years, the Roth component has been added to those employer plans, but that's usually where you start off. So People will start off with pre-tax retirement savings. And then the question is, do I want to convert to Roth? And so if you're going to change pre-tax and after-tax, you get taxed on them. So you, you convert 100000 from your pre-tax account to Roth where you're going to pay income tax on that $100,000. Converting is something people like to do when they've had a loss that year. And they can mitigate the tax situation, right? But...
Well, I don't because I don't give tax advice, but I would talk to your tax person who knows your whole, you know, scenario and, and all of your entities that you have and what your goals are and so forth. It's really a tax question. Um, and it's also part of your tax plan. I mean, if you're an investor, it's good to have a plan. You know, it's great to have advisors and you've got to have a plan. So make a, you know, plug the Roth conversion into your plan and see how that comes out for you. It's okay, either way. No, you're not in trouble. You're only in trouble if you call me Karen. <laughs> It's super easy. The whole process is, is really a three-step process to open an account, which is to complete a form and provide us your ID. We have a $50 setup fee. You know, pretty simple, really, really simple to open an account. Um, 24 hours, your account's open. You have access to our, our business platform and, you know, a, a nice platform where you can see things, you know, what's going on, what's coming in, what's going out. That's easy. The second step is to fund it. So either you're going to roll over a previous employer plan. That's called a rollover. It's a different process. Or you may transfer an IRA that you have already to, you know, to, to us. And understand that if you're going from custodian to custodian in a rollover, custodian to custodian in a transfer, it's not taxable to you. It would only be tra taxable if it came to you when in your account first, then you'd have 60 days to get it back into a retirement account. So that's not taxable. But the other way to fund an account is to contribute. And that's based upon your age and your account type and your income, actually. Because like you could make too much to contribute to a Roth. And that's why they came up with the backdoor Roth, you know, so you could convert and get in through the back door. So you Yeah, so you open it, you fund it, and then you invest. You know, what do you want to invest in? We look at the documentation, you give us the we call it the supporting documentation. It's the, you know, it's the agreement, the contract, and make sure it's vested in the name of the IRA and so forth. Get it all queued up so when the money hits, we can fund it, and now your IRA is self-directed, and then all the proceeds for that asset go back to the IRA that owns the asset, goes back to the self-directed IRA, not to your personal checking account ever, <laughs> you know, not to a different IRA ever, and then if that asset ever has any expenses, like... What we're seeing now with private equity is, is capital calls because the interest rates have gone up unexpectedly. And so capital is needed. So if you need like a capital call, you need to leave a reserve in your IRA, a reserve of idle cash, super important, so that you've got money to cover expenses like that. And those have to be paid for by the IRA. Right. Well, you know, and it's a pity, right? Because that would be great. But, uh, you know, or you can't invest in a fine wine collection either because those turned into bottle collections, <laughs> you know. So the IRS said you can invest in life insurance contracts and collectibles, just two things. 
that you can't invest in, but there's wisdom in that. Uh, it's in those two things, it covers a lot of ground. Well, you know, that used to be true, but at the end of 2022, we had something passed called the Secure Act 2.0 and it eliminated that, or, or was it Secure 2.18? That was eliminated. You can still contribute as long as you have active income. Sure, it's also on our website. If you want to go to the letter U, udirectira.com, it's there. But if, say, you have a traditional IRA or a Roth and you're under 50, you can contribute $6,500 a year. Now, that's if you have a traditional and Roth, it's combined. It's, it's all of your Roths and all of your traditional IRAs combined. You can only put $6,500 a year in there. Now, if you're over 50, 50 or over, you get what's called a catch-up contribution. You can catch up as you get closer, and that is presently $1,000, so $7,500. Um, and, you know, we may see that change in the future, but that's how it stands today. You can have a 401k where you work and an IRA. You can do both. 401ks are a different kind of account, and they have different um, contribution limits. So do SEPs. A 401k from your company, it's, I believe, 21500 is the cap if you're under 50. And then if you have a catch-up contribution of 6000 so you can tack that on there. Um, same thing, this year, in 2023, contribution limits were raised for solo 401ks and SEP IRAs. And it's the lesser of 25% of your income or $66,000. So say you're self-employed and you have a SEP IRA, Simplified Employee Pension, and you make whatever, say $300,000, you can contribute you know, up to $66,000 to your SEP IRA and take a tax deduction. So the, each one is different. And because when we get down to it, there are complexities. That's why we offer a 20 minute free consultation. Like tell us about your situation. What are you looking to do? And talk about everybody's individual situation because we can really get in the weeds with detail. Right. Wow, that's so inter an interesting way to ask that question. And it's an individual retirement arrangement, so it's really tied to an individual. But even but with the, for a traditional and a Roth, with a SEP, it's tied to a sponsoring company, which can be a sole proprietor. And same thing with the solo K. It could be a sole proprietor. 
L, you know, LLC, C Corp, S Corp, what have you. Um, so there are accounts for employers and, and accounts for individuals. Um, you, yes, you can double up and have different, you know, multiple accounts. There's actually no limit to how many accounts you can have. Um, but can you really screw with the IRS? I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, that's not really the, yeah. Well, I mean, if I, I, that's not what we're here to talk about. And, and if I just you ask Wesley Snipes, do you want to screw with the IRS? Answer is no. Yes or no. Well, and Peter, right? So to, to that point, after it was disclosed that he had invested, I think it was a PayPal or something at the early stages or something like this, and he became, he had billions in his, in his Roth IRA, tax-free money, crazy. How did he do this? That created a giant and expensive, a deep dive by the government into how did he do it and how many people who have these mega IRAs cheated. And you can cheat in a Roth if you... Are if you falsify uh, the value, and you don't want to do that because then you'll get nabbed because Roth fraud is really on the radar of the, uh, the Department of Treasury and the IRS. So, I, I but what they found out that's the fun thing that is that they worked so hard and spent so much money to research these 400 people who had mega, mega IRAs like 400 people out of the entire United States of America. That's all it was, it was a lot for nothing. Most of and they don't think they found any fraud at all. They pretty much all did it legitimately by the rules, by the book. Yeah, and it's and they're following the rules. So they followed the rules that that were created for us. And uh, yeah, you're right. That's pretty much how it went. So it wasn't anybody breaking the rules to get there. Well, I think that um, the audiences I speak to are usually investor audiences, um, like maybe on bigger pockets or you know um, various uh, venues like like this, and and where I'm already speaking to maybe real estate investors or private equity investors or precious metals investors, and they they're people who've already educated themselves on a certain alternative asset class, and then this is self-directed IRAs, solo Ks, everything is a way to A, raise capital, if you're raising capital for your deals, that's one thing that IRAs do. And the other thing is to build your own retirement. So we want to help people that have some level of education. You don't, you don't, wanna, you don't wanna experiment with your retirement dollars because they're not easily replaced, right? And so you want to make sure you know what you're doing or that you're working with an asset sponsor who is, you know, you've vetted them and they're, you know, they know what they're doing. They're smart. They're making a return. You talk to their um, current investors and see, hey, you know, how's it going for you? And you investigate them. You do your due diligence.
And I agree because retirement, are you ready to retire? No. I mean, look how far retirement is for you in the future. And so you've got, you've got a horizon. And so of course it's a get rich slow kind of scheme, right? But the great thing about self-directed IRAs is you invest and you get proceeds back. Those proceeds are not taxed. And so the proceeds and including, you know, like your capital and the gain can go out into your next deal. And so you keep, you know, snowballing this and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger hope because you don't want to face any losses but if you do that's going to hurt but but you keep building and building and building without being taxed and and maybe you're taxed at the end in a typical kind of uh situation or in a Roth situation it comes out tax-free but because this is tax deferred while you've got the money in this tax protected little bubble here um you can really compound and that's the power uh, of self-directed IRAs and self-directed investing That's a great question. Yeah, there are two ways to do that. One is to partner with someone because you don't want to use every dime of your IRA to invest in an asset you, that you know will have expenses because you need a cushion, right? So I wouldn't just throw it all in there because you're going to hurt yourself, you know, and then you're going to end up having to sell it because you can't keep up with the expenses. So the one way to do that is to partner with somebody, have a you know more positive experience that way. Or, and I'm glad you asked because it lets me get into this topic, your IRA can actually borrow money. So part of, like I mentioned, part of my background was mortgage lending. So when I found out that a bank would lend money to an IRA account, I was super surprised about that, you know? So it's called a non-recourse loan. It's a commercial loan. And it really, the, you know, they underwrite it based upon the location of the property and its condition, but mostly the cash flow. So they want to see that you have a like a, a, a rental agreement in place so that they know that property is cash flow. So you could take out a non-recourse loan, but if you do, there's a, there's a catch. And that is a tax, a special tax that could be associated to your IRA due to leverage. So say you don't have enough to take this deal down just with your IRA money, even though you've got 200 grand in there. So maybe it's like a $300,000 property. So you, you borrow 150 or something, you come in with 150 and then you've got a 50% loan to value. That's So now here comes a rent check. Well, 50% of that rent check, your IRA earned because of borrowed money, because of leverage. And that 50% due to leverage is subject to this tax. So again, you want to begin with the end in mind. You want to talk to us before you do this so we can help you plan this out. You can talk to your advisors about what that tax is going to look like. Because even when you do have to pay UDFI tax, you may have write-offs and end up paying no tax at all. You just have to file a form 990T. So you, you really want to discuss this with your tax advisor before you go forward with uh, having your IRA borrow money. But you can do it. It's another way to, you know, fulfill that goal of the $200,000 Roth that wants to buy a house. Ten percent, I think. 
is 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 moderate. It's not conservative. It's it's like bare minimum. Right. Well, uh, a few things like one, you can contribute and and add, you know, make up for the shortfall. You could move money from another retirement account. Maybe you've got another retirement account, like in the stock market, you've got market correlated assets, liquidate those and transfer them over to your self-directed IRA to make up the difference. If it's a property, you could take on a lender. You could take on a loan maybe from a friend or something and have them loan your IRA the money, maybe in exchange for a piece of the action, like it's some equity. But if you just can't cover the expenses with your IRA, with your IRA reserves, then you really need to sell the asset because you've gotten in over your head. <laughs> right. And by the way, I just have to first say that we have no intent of, of striking terror in anyone's heart. <laughs> That's why we, we help people avoid these things, you know. And so we have lots of lots and you know thousands of happy account holders. But um, but your question again is what now? The property. Sure, you can't live in it. You're not even supposed to stay in there one single day. I mean, technically, it's not like they're police yet monitoring that and yeah just you know having fun and so you have no personal use and with your IRA assets it's arm's length so you don't have personal benefit present benefit indirect benefit it's all for later you know IRAs are all for saving for later you also can't offer services to the plan so say you, you have this property and it's a rental what you can do is screen tenants, um, pick up and collect that rent check. You can hire third-party vendors, but you will not collect a fee for being the property manager. That would be prohibited. You'd be personally benefiting from your IRA. So you want to steer clear of that. But just with, with any IRA asset, you just want to stay arm's length from it. And then you'll that's a good rule of thumb. And it gets you know more complicated from there if you, you know, if it if it does, just take it from there. <laughs> well, I'm not an investment advisor, um, but I did read one time, buy low, sell high. You know, I mean, call me a genius, but I, you know, I, I read that. And a lot of people, I did. Yeah, thanks. You're, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like after the recession, we had these properties. You could buy properties on tape. People were buying low. Oh my gosh. And then we saw recently, the last, I'd say year even, people selling at the high, you know, we've had a real peak in real estate prices. And so they bought low and they sold high. So a lot of people really did it right in their IRA, taking advantage of maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity when real estate values were low. I don't think we're going to see that again. I just don't think that, but people bought low and sold high. So when you find a situation like that, or you find a distress issue where someone's willing to discount an asset really below its value for urgency or they, because a lot of times people haven't like, why are, 
why would you sell a perfectly good house like this? And then they tell you they're getting divorced or they have to move or they have some urgency. And you might find a real deal and be able to get a below market uh, price on an asset like real estate. I was quoting Pete Fortunato there. I'll give him, give him credit. Yeah. We have a list that we are happy to share. It's not that we necessarily endorse them, but it's it's just as a convenience. And we'll share that with anybody that emails us, info at udirectira.com. We'll share that list with you. And then you can check them out, speak to them, tell them what you're looking to do, find out their underwriting guidelines and see if that if that works for you. It does, and I think that's why we, why these investment clubs are so popular because you can meet uh, you know in person now and and talk to other people. What are they doing? Someone's you know you meet someone then they're succeeding. How did they do it? And if they did it, you could do it. And so you learn uh, from the way others are doing it. And there are just so many different techniques. It could be, yeah. You, you, it could be another IRA. It could be someone else's private cash. Now, we didn't cover disallowed people. You, you're not allowed to invest with your ascendants and descendants, parents, grandparents, yourself, your spouse, children and grandchildren, but an exception. You can actually partner with a disallowed person. So you could partner with, say, for example, your spouse, both of your IRAs in a deal, as long as you closed and recorded concurrently. And that's an exception. So you can partner even with disallowed people as long as you close concurrently. Oh, no, it sure can. No, yeah, it doesn't. But that's just like how you, how you would use an IRA. The IRA requirement is concurrent. But of course, with your private money, there's there's no limit in this in this regard. But uh, but yeah, yeah. So you could definitely partner and have maybe two or three people in on a deal and. But when you're doing that, especially with real estate, that's probably one, when you want to have a property manager involved, because otherwise the renter would have to make, say, if you had four partners in a deal, four checks every time they paid their rent. Better to write one check to the property manager and then let them sort it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's hard enough to get them to write one check, isn't it? So... Not, not too dramatically. I think uh, we, we've had Secure Act 1.0 come through in 2019. It raised the RMDH required minimum distribution. It had been 
it had previously been when you turned 70 and a half, the year after you turned 70 and a half, you had to start taking money out of your pre-tax accounts. And there was a, a formula, you know, you look on a grid and you find the factor and multiply the factor times the money that you have in your retirement account. And you have to remove that. Secure Act 1.0 raised that age from 70 and a half to 72. And then at the end of 2022, like the very last day of the year, Secure Act 2.0 passed. And as a result, the age is now 73. So now the RMD, required minimum distribution age is 73. Secure Act 2.0 said that in the year 2033, in 10 years, that age will go to 75, just sort of reflecting how we are living longer. Yes. <laughs> well, tax, bottom line. Really good point. So, so the Roth, well, I mean, the reason that they want the money is, is because the government wants to tax your dollars. But, um, but now I think the, it's more advantageous um, for the government to have us have, you know, take care of our own retirement instead of relying, you know, on the, on the collective here. And so what they've actually done also with Secure Act 2.0 is come up with two new types of accounts that are effective this year, but we don't have any guidance on them yet. It's a Roth SEP and a Roth Simple. So I'll explain what that means is that today or, or before the 2.0 passed, if you were going to contribute to a SEP IRA, it would be pre-tax dollars. You would make the contribution and get a tax bill. But now, after they come out with the guidance, <laughs> You can contribute, you'll be able to contribute, say, say a SEP IRA after, you know, um, after you pay your income tax on it, and that can grow tax-free for life. So that's the, the law. It passed, but it's not into effect until the Department of Treasury gives us guidance and prototypes and things like that. We don't have that yet. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah, the, yes, the IRAs are like mini trusts. So when you um, when when you pass away, the IRA is automatically going to go to your beneficiaries. So the IRA will immediately pass on to your beneficiaries, and right when they inherit the IRA. They are going to also inherit the need to take the RMDs based on the lifetime of the deceased. But that is that's changed. It could also be based on your lifetime. And really, the IRS is now looking for it to happen within a five-year time, time window. So you can take a total distribution or you can leave it in there. But they do want you to um, deplete that retirement account and so that they so the government collects tax on, on those dollars. But inherited IRAs are great because, again, whether it's in a trust or not, that's something you can discuss with your, your trust attorney and your CPA. It's not going to go into probate because an IRA is like a mini trust, 
it, 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 as long as you've named your beneficiaries, it will go directly to the beneficiaries without passing through probate. Tough love. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what do you learn if you don't earn it yourself and you don't appreciate it? Right? <laughs> don't stop. Okay, it wasn't easy. I'm just gonna say, you know, <laughs> lots of, lots, lots and lots of challenges, like any entrepreneur, right? But it, it just, it really started off with needing a way to use all my skills in an ethical way to be able, be able to provide for my family. You know, I'm divorced. I have two kids, and at the time they were still in grade school and junior high school. And how do I afford? all the things that they need. So it was more survival is how I started, you know, a lot of, and I bootstrapped this. And I remember getting my, opening my first account in 2009, I had $50 and I'm like, I'm rich. <laughs> because it was, there was a great recession and it was, it was tough. But literally having $0 in my bank account at one point and I just bootstrapped this. Um, and uh, to now we have a billion dollars under management. So that, that's been a, you can imagine there have been, there's been this and that, uh, different trials. Uh, one of the things, uh, the trials I'll share with you is that sometimes fraudsters are after IRA money. You know, what, what was the, like the famous gangster was asked, why do you rob banks? And he said, because that's where the money is, right? Well, that uh, where's the money? It's, it's in retirement accounts. So if, if fraudsters can get to it, they want to. And so we had, uh, there was a local fraudster and we had a few accounts involved and those account holders uh, were coming to me saying, what do I do? What do I do? Well, so I'm on the board of directors for our industry, the Retirement Industry Trust Association called RITA. And I was at a conference in DC. So I met the head of enforcement for FINRA. FINRA, that's an acronym, and it's the enforcement arm for the Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC. Name's Diane. So I talked to Diane, got this problem. Fraudsters. What do I tell people? How do I tell people, to, you know, what steps can they take to be made whole in this situation to see some justice? So she says, well, have them file a grievance, and here's the link to the form with the California Department of Business Oversight, which is where I live in California. So I did, and then it, these people who were stolen from were, were rightly very, very angry, and they thought maybe I was in cahoots <laughs> with this person, which of course I wasn't. So they turned me into the California Department of Business Oversight, and I got this letter saying that I was acting as a broker dealer and affecting transactions, which I wasn't. And so I, I called the, the gentleman who wrote the letter. His name was Tim. And I said, hey, Tim, I got your letter. I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't do this. And, and, and then he was like treating me like a criminal. And that was weird. And I said, look, I hear what you're saying. I'll fully cooperate. I'm going to retain counsel. We'll get back with you. So long story short, you know, I was able to provide proof that we don't 
sell assets. We don't take any money for any any asset. We don't like we don't get a kickback, for example, from any asset that's sold at all. It's just a very you know very solid line between the asset sponsor and Udirect. And then I got then we got audited. So it turned out to be a business audit. It turned into a personal audit. So I got investigated and audited over the course of months. And then after the audit was all after all the dust settled on all these things. Then I get a call from the receptionist because I was in an executive suite at the time. She's, uh, yeah, uh, hi, um, Karen, the FBI is here for you and, and they've got a subpoena. <laughs> so so the poor receptionist thinks I'm being taken away by the FBI or something that I'm doing something. Of course not. Of course not. Yeah, it's weird that my mind doesn't work that way. <laughs> it sounds like you have brothers, you know? <laughs> yeah, big time. Well, and he was the nicest guy, you know? And so it's like, hey, come on up to the office. He sits down. What do you want to know? And I tell him. And I said, what do you want to know? And he says, well, I need this. And what he did is he subpoenaed me for records. He needed our records to be able to put away the fraudster. So we cooperated. And and it just created a really nice relationship with that um, with that agency, and that, that we have to this day, as far as being uh, very observant. If we see anything that looks like fraud, just to you know, just say, hey, I think this could be fraud. What do you think? So, Yeah. Well, and you know, it was, it was like really stressful, but in the end it turned out to be great because if there were, if anybody had any doubts about what we were doing, we were just, it was just like, it's just like taking a shower. We were clean, you know, completely, just completely clean and without any questions. So so it ended up being an extremely good thing. And that's the only way I could get there is by going through this, you know, but I, and, and do I have a shoe collection to rival Lamelda Marcos? No, I don't. <laughs> I invest my money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's why I that's why I'm so proud of being a part of, of Rita, that the you know the our industry group because we meet with legislators. We're gonna be doing that later this month in like two, three weeks in Washington DC, meeting with them like on, on panels and having them talk to us, tell us, you know, what are you, what are your views and how can we do our job better and and the, the enforcement agencies, you know, how can we be more aware of fraud, how can we do a better job for our clients? It's it's super it's really fun to be have this nice cooperative um, environment. The very best way is to go to our website and that's the letter U, udirectira.com. Um, email us at info at udirectira.com. We're all over social media, as you mentioned. 
and very accessible. If you email us, you'll, you'll get a response within a couple of hours at the most because we've got staff to take care of it and to help you. And so that's what we're here for. Great to meet you, great meeting you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.